Welcome to the Industry Insider, brought to you by Promo Corner. Each week, promotional product professionals Meg Erber, Jeff Franklin, and Stephen McFadden, along with special guests, will discuss industry news, trends, and events with a focus on educating the promotional products industry. The Industry Insider, the nerdy news you need to know. Welcome back to yet another exciting episode of the Industry Insider, your promotional products podcast where you can get all the nerdy news you need to know about. My name is Jeff Franklin, National Accounts Manager with Headwear USA, and I'm joined today by three other lovely folks. But of course, before we get to them, we've got to tell you about our fine sponsors for this broadcast. For more than 30 years, Keystone has been providing distributors with classic best-selling promotional items with an extensive line of water bottles and drinkware at the core of their line. They also feature top styles from categories ranging from totes, first aid items, household products, hand fans, desk accessories, product bundles, and more. Keystone is committed to delivering value pricing in all categories with top-rated service and quality. Head over to keystoneline.com to learn more and tell them the industry insider sent you. Why don't we say hey to uh, Mr. Masters, uh, waste management, uh, open Stephen McFadden. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I, I feel like I've got minor technical difficulties, but, uh, I'm good otherwise. <laughs> so, yeah, but it is 85 degrees today. Uh, so I'm feeling like I'm, back, like I'm back <laughs> I, in Arizona. <laughs> I heard I'm, I'm here in, in South central Pennsylvania and it's raining and gloomy and probably cold. So I'm a little bit jealous right now. A little bit yeah, jealous. It's pretty nice. I put the shorts on. I'm like, you know Ooh. what? If it's, it's going to be over 65 as the low or 60 as the low, I'm going shorts all the way. Megerber, you're in my neck of the woods and I see you're sporting the hoodie. So yeah, it's freezing. It is cold. It is rainy. I went to the ISS show. Um, as you can see, this is a pre-recorded episode, but I went to the ISS show yesterday as an attendee. I walked the show. Super small, still in the uh, convention center, Atlantic City, but it was really neat. I'll say that uh, we've we've talked about on-demand printing versus traditional like decorating screen printing, and I was I was blown away by all of the new on-demand printing companies that were popping up and um and all the new heat transfer places like i saw this really cool one by Nin it was ninja transfers and i dtf and they print them out in 24 hours i was uh, i was it was pretty neat pretty neat stuff out there so i'm glad i went i really but, think we need to come up with another acronym for that yeah i don't like it either nope <laughs> yeah it's here to stay yeah Jeff. yeah <laughs> Fair enough. We are joined by a special guest today, Elliot Goldman. How are you doing today, sir? Killing it, baby. <laughs> love it. Love it. I, I love the background. We're surrounded by 60s and 70s toys. It's awesome. I see some Lincoln Logs back there. I'm excited. Love them. Tinker Toys, Lincoln Logs, got it all. <laughs> All right, Elliot. So we're going to talk today about, um, you know, basically, you know, selling bags. So we, we've, you know, had a couple of these episodes now where we've talked about different categories in our industry and uh, really why you might want to focus on selling those particular product categories. And you're here to talk to us today about bags and maybe a little bit of politics and how that affects uh, China and all that good stuff. So we're, we're really going to dive into the woods a little bit today. But before we do, it is customary for us to give our special guests a good three to four minutes to introduce themselves and maybe how you got started in the promotional products industry uh so and and what you've been up to since so take it away yeah great yeah so i uh i currently work at liberty bags and just give you i had a really circuitous crazy route into the uh industry my first job i had i worked in the white house uh office of staff secretary vice president of the united states then i worked on capitol hill for united states senator and then I, I was up there for a few years and i figured out that i 
hate politics and love history. And so um, I went to work and I started selling Walmart uh, on a category basis. And I kept doing that. And I, um, I'm in a meeting one day with a major executive at Walmart and uh, I needed to, I needed time in the meeting. And he said, uh, he said, I got to go, I got to go order shirts for something. And I said, oh, we make shirts. And they said, and he said, how much are they? And I'm like, they're four bucks. He goes, all right, I'll take three dozen of them. I go, great. And we, so we extended the meeting. I got back to my house and I was like, I don't know how to do this. I got to go figure out how to make this guy shirts. So I start, I start learning all about like embroidery and, you know, who has blank shirts and how it all works. And so I get, I get him his shirts, deliver the stuff. And I was like, wow, there must be a lot of business in the halls doing this. So I start wandering the Walmart halls and um, I find out that they're buying like um, they're buying flashlights from a certain flashlight company who I won't name. Then they were selling that to a distributor and then the distributor was selling it to them. And so and I was like, they're buying this on a category basis. So I, I called them and I said, hey, I'll go to your um, I'll go to your suppliers and I'll make I'll coordinate all of these uh, projects for you at, at a cost plus basis. And uh, so Walmart gave me their entire supplier base. So I had an entire supplier base outside of the ASI and promotional product supplier base. And what I would never make a penny on any Walmart project. But once I had the relationship, I would then go sell the flashlights to General Electric or somebody else. And so once they gave me the T-shirt supplying situation, I learned how the T-shirts worked and and it was it became bonkers. I was selling and then I, I got into blood centers. So I would buy the T-shirts, take care of the Walmart project for like 90,000 cashiers or something. And then I would sell them for a, a profitably to the blood centers. So I uh, built this entire basically promotional products company that was outside of the traditional supplier base. And um, and while I was doing that, my other side business was that I was selling Walmart on a category basis. I was designing picture frames and Christmas ornaments and stuff like that. And so the picture frames were uh, were made in the were, were purchased in the in the furniture department. So was luggage. And so my mother one day was over in China at a Walmart business center, and she meets this guy Alex because he was a supplier to a Walmart supplier supplying luggage, and. She comes back and she's like, I met this guy, Alex. He's the neatest guy in the whole wide world. I love him. He's fantastic. And my mother likes no one. So she doesn't even like me. So I was like, I have got to meet this guy. I know I'm getting close to my four minutes. I'm going to get. So, so I meet, so I meet, so I, so I fly out. I'm like, I call him up. I go, I got to fly out. I want to meet you. He goes, okay, great. So we, if I fly out to LA, I'm like, my mom likes you. We've got to do business together. What do you, what do you make? And so he made bags. And so I, I first called a, I called, called state and wholesale and I was like, guys got a warehouse full of briefcases and his, his briefcases were a third of the cost of whatever they were in, in this channel. And so I, I'm not a really good sales guy, but I was able, if, if it only cost a third as much as your next closest competitor, I did. Okay. So that's how I, so that's how I found Alex, who's our, who's my partner in the business. And then the weirdest thing, my wife goes and buys a uh, pink, duffel bag for uh my daughter for her ballet and she comes home she tells me how much she spent on it i'm like you did what i'm like i couldn't believe it and now that i know welcome Alex, to the industry that that's how you know you're in the industry when you yell at your spouses and children for bringing home promotional products when you know how much it costs <laughs> that's yeah. right i'm like now that i know what this costs i'm like 
I got mad for like, I don't know, 15 minutes. And then I'm like, wow, the difference between here and here is big. So we end up, so I call Alex and I'm like, all right, I got this crazy idea. I go, I go, all of the inexpensive duffel bags in China are made in black and all of the colored ones are made in short batches. I said, why don't we dominate the top 26 colors of duffel bags into the US? And he goes, ah, eh, sounds like a great idea. So then we have this nutty idea. We were the first people to post uh, real-time online inventories because back in the day, caveman days, you would never sell a brown duffel bag because they'd only have like six in stock. And so you would just, you wouldn't be sure of the inventory. So us posting the inventories, I know this sounds nuts today because it's like the core of the business. Standard, right? But yeah, it's standard stuff, but this was revolutionary. So then we were, I'm, I'm over my time limit. Is it still okay? Can I do a little <laughs> more? All right, go, all right. So we, um, so then we're like, we've got to do, um, how do we, how do we make this efficient? And back in the day, you would make it efficient by create, by using post-industrial recycled materials. And so if you could get your raw materials costs down by using the, the scrap, then that's what we did. And so we were the first people to come in with, with recycled post-industrial or recycled materials basically in our bags. And now it's like a thing and everyone loves it and all of that stuff. But it was really done from an economics standpoint to begin with uh, back in the day. And so we were the first people with real-time online inventories and the first people bringing in uh, the recycled uh, 600D. And so that's how I got in the business. And now I'm, now I'm just doing it. <laughs> how long Fair have you enough. been a partner with SNS? I think about 15 years now. Wow, and so, okay. yeah, they're, they're fantastic. And I, I love the, I, I love working with all our partners. SNS has amazing, you guys have an amazing culture. You have an amazing sales team and, and it's fun. And, and there's a value add. If I, if I bring something to the table or I create something, you guys get excited about it too, and are willing to go out and share it with your customer base. And so we're thrilled to work with you guys. Well, I think that kind of segues into the topic a little bit. You you were really excited about selling bags. And I'm a passionate person. So people are like, well, I want whatever you're selling because I want that passion. I want that excitement. Why would you say it's important to to lead the sales charge with with bags? Why are bags number one? I mean, we we know like how much things cost and how much you see them in retail and the big difference. But how how can we kind of extend that excitement, extend that education to the distributors that want to sell these products. And why should we start with bags? So I'm going to, I'm going to take it both on a macro level and then on a micro level, like where we sit in the space on a macro level, of course, it's a non-sized accessory. So that's one, that's one component of it. So they don't have to go hunt down the sizes. The second component of it is that, um, is that, there's a ton of bags in general in the industry, and it's always new and fresh. And there are lots of people that are innovating, uh, that are innovating within the space, both from a material standpoint and from a quality standpoint. The second thing is, is that uh, the other additional component is, is that it is probably one of the stickiest, if not the stickiest uh, items you can do. Pens are disposable or they run out of ink and, um, and eventually somebody has, I mean, they have their favorite t-shirt, but they, if they don't, if, if it doesn't become their favorite t-shirt or their favorite golf shirt, you have limited use where if you bring in like, we have an 8872 tote bag. It was just on Jimmy Fallon about eight or nine days ago. They had this tote bag and how it's their favorite tote bag and they carry it to work every day. I took a picture of uh, Fallon. I'll have to see if I can pull it. I don't know if it'll show up on the thing, but I was just laughing that uh, Fallon had the let me see. Let me see if it. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna see. Oh, that's cool. Does oh, it, yeah, that it, is cool. You see, I was like, and he was talking about how 
wonderful this tote bag was. It was like, it was like, ooh, podcast material or, or webcast, <laughs> whatever this is, material. I'm like, I'm totally in. So there's an incredible stickiness factor with, um, although bags are personal in some way, uh, there's a, if you can hit it right, there's a stickiness factor. So on the macro level, that's where it is. On the micro level, we are a little bit different than there are, there are people that are less expensive in the industry than we are. It's just the way it is. Um, Non-woven bags, we don't do a lot in disposable bags. But ours from a quality standpoint, they stay and they last. And so people want the bags. And so there's obviously there's the, the big wide wedge of the marketplace is that the least expensive give away 10,000 bags for a, for a walkathon or something like that. But for what we do on the stickiness side in the uh, short run, nice quality product, that's uh, it's really, really, really. Effective. So I would actually like to segue a little bit into the political side of things, not to dive too deep into it, but you know, since we, we did want to just maybe chat about that a little bit and before we talk about China, um, you'd mentioned like the non-woven bags and how you don't do a ton of those. What about like back in the, the late, uh, like 2010s or yeah, 2010 early 2010s, was like, like yeah, when, 2010 when, was... when all the municipalities basically stopped or started outlawing like plastic bags in stores, uh, did, like, did, did that affect like bag makers, uh, or, or bag suppliers in our industry at all? And oh yeah. It's house, a huge, though. it's, it's a huge deal. And, uh, this is great. You guys are, you guys are on the ground, you know, pounding away at it and you see it, you see bags come up constantly. So yeah, we have a, a fold in like grocery whole foods bag and that was popular and that, that exploded. And that is one of these interesting things that is a cascading thing that happens in this municipality, than this one, than this one, than this one. So on the macro scale, it'll pop up for your partners and it'll be super hot for a period of time. The other thing that unfortunately has happened is we've gotten into a weird security situation. And so clear backpacks become a thing, uh, unfortunately, for schools and, you know, the shootings. And there was just one down the street. It was so sad. Uh, one of the people that works here, their daughter went to high school and the guy got shot. A guy got shot at the high school two days ago or three days ago. Um, and so, again, there's there was this whole thing after 9-11. It was a hard learning lesson for me that, that everyone was like, uh, we're going to make American flag pens. And I was like, I'm not making American flag pens. I, I'm not going to take this tragedy and make money off of it and so on and so forth. And I learned that people just want to be patriotic and, and, and supplying that and doing that is a good thing. And so the same thing with the clear backpack, you're providing a service. And the truth is, is that what happens is, is they have this huge thing. And then this like, like the Dallas Independent School District goes to nothing but clear things. We got 60,000 students. And what happened, the first thing that happens is Amazon gets cleared out of their bags and then it floats into our industry. And we wish we had we wish we had a little runway as a supplier. So if I had a 30 day head start, I could at least get some rolling off the production line. But when it happens, it happens. And so um, and that happens a lot with bags. And I guess the other one of the other components of that, when you think about bags, they're kind of vessels. So anything that's in the macro world will affect will affect and actually help with your bag sales in the sense that like um we did um laptop holders like everyone started working from home and so all of a sudden everyone bought all the laptops and literally all the laptop holders at retail went out and the next thing you know this was the gift du jour was the was the thing and we make a super puffy really high quality neoprene type uh thing that actually protects your your laptop 
So, um, so it's so anyway. So yeah, that's a great Jeff. That's a fantastic point about the fact that it uh, that that there are a lot of macro political or life events that really help uh, and make uh, bag sales. Yeah, and you mentioned the uh, the clear bags too. I know when I was a, a distributor, we we were actually selling uh, a, a, a media bag basically to all of the the press, uh, the press room, everybody that came through for like a very large uh, national convention. And uh, when the clear bag thing came out, it sort of ripped uh, all of the creativity and uniqueness out of the bag that used to make it sort of special in, in a sense. Because I mean, maybe maybe things have changed like since that originally came out. Like, or is it is has that changed at all? Like, have you guys been able to like create more creative stuff now uh, with the clear bags versus what it was when it originally came out? Yeah, and the and the trends are crazy, right? So the colleges will now they they put the branding on it. So if anyone's supplying any of those things. And we're a, we're a supplier to suppliers uh, throughout all of the different uh, channels. So it's not just the promotional product space, but we also the print on demand. You were talking about Maggie. You were talking about print on demand. And they go. We're actually supplying those people as well, the, the biggest names in that industry. And so the the latest thing that we've got coming out in about sixty days, which we're excited about, is fanny packs. I it was the funniest thing. You know, I always I oh I said. I got in the business and I said, I'm going to be able to earn a living without doing a fanny pack. I said, nope. I'm never going to do it. And it was an SNS salesperson who I, who I love said, can you make me a fanny pack? And I said, all right, I'm throwing all my morals and standards out the window. I'm making a fanny pack. And so, uh, so I made a fanny pack. And so the, there are fanny packs in the industry. It, there are fanny packs out of retail that are amazing looking. And there are fanny packs in the industry that are designed for price that are not so great. So, and I think in about 90 days, we've already got the prototype, it's fantastic. It's already been approved, we've got the photography. It is a super cool, 100% clear fanny pack with an additional front zipper pocket on it. And so- Perfect for yeah. concerts, perfect for any type of like festival, cruise, anything. I love, I don't know if I would wear it to like be cool, but I would wear it to- like They wear it like <laughs> crossbody. They do, mm -hmm. and I'm not there yet. I have one that's- Specifically for the crossbody, which I wear, but I have a Codapaxi one. Sorry, but I wear it. I love it. BJ hates it. He's like, that thing is so ugly. And I'm like, it's functional. That's all that matters. Yeah. So, yeah. So, there, Jeff, believe it or not, there's design and clear. <laughs> Um, if you call a fanny event. pack uh, a, a design, I, 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 you know, we'll just draw the line there. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone was on that same page. I just fell in love with them last year. But um, I pulled the ad impression study from 2022 from ASI, and bags are in that top five category for almost mm -hmm. all of them. I pulled it, and I just did like a control F, so in 19 different categories. But I think some of them that were pretty interesting were the five most influential promo products among consumers 25 to 34 years old bags were number four um same category different age group 35 to 44 years old um it was number five they didn't make the 45 to 54 year olds i wonder if those people are just too old to carry bags they've already picked, they've already no they've already picked no them. they transitioned to carts meg yeah, that's right. yeah. or, or laptop sleeves <laughs> i'm just kidding um but then i think it went back into like per state and that that's where the rest of them were so i'd have to go through and see which ones were the top um top states for bags but that's pretty neat i love this ad impression study that asi puts out especially mm -hmm. if you're trying to drive it in for your state and and all that good stuff so yeah the interest the other interesting thing about bags is is 
Um, I always tell people, everyone's like, what's your, I, I'm like, no one wants to do my job. To, it's easy to make a nice bag and it's easy to make an inexpensive bag. It is very difficult to make an inexpensive nice bag. And so I, that's, I mean, yeah. Jeff's, Jeff's, it looks like he's in the hat business. He'll tell you, you can make a hat and you can make a really nice hat, but to make a really high quality hat at a reasonable cost is a really complicated. Well, Elliot, that's the, uh, the triangle, right? Yeah. You know, it really just depends on who you're comparing it to. <laughs> so, so one of the, yeah, one of the neat things. So a lot of there are people that pop up all the time. I I'll tell, I'll tell you this. I'm not the only one that's been in the bag business since, you know, birth. Uh, or forever and ever and ever. Uh, but the, the people that have been in the business for a long time, I would recommend you look to those people because there are a hundred problems that people don't understand about bags. I looked at, I looked at one company and they, they had constructed a bag and I was like, these bags are, they're, they're like ticking time bomb. They're gonna, there's gonna be a dye migration problem in the way they constructed them and this, that, and the other. And so I think that, I think it is worthwhile to understand the long-term industry brands and what value they bring uh, when you're comparing and contrasting because everyone seems to think that they can make bags. So yeah, I so Stephen, you mentioned the, okay. the triangle, the, the price, yeah, you quality, can have, and service, right? You can only yeah, have two it's or three. Price, quality, and speed. You got to pick two. Mm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, so I was so able to uh, hold on. I was able to pull up the two the two states that had bags as their number one. So Michigan and Montana, they're the biggest selling category were bags. Only two states, huh? Out of all of them, yes. But hmm. bags are more influential in the southeast than any other region. So there you go. But you know, you have Disney World down there. I think that's really big too. Yeah, that huge. I'm just guessing. I'm just making things up. But <laughs> we're supplying. We're our bags are used. One of the one real thing. interesting niches of our bags, and you talk about this getting down to kind of the micro and the specifics. Our, because of the way our bags are made, our bags are made as a retail quality bag at a promotional cost. So we're the backbone for many like souvenir programs. If you go to Florida, and I'm not going to mention which grocery store or anything else, but you walk into any grocery store in Florida for a certain chain, all of our bags are in there because, and I don't have anything to do with it. I'm not involved in it, but everybody just uses our product because of the quality and it's got a retail feel and it's got a built up zipper and all that stuff, but it's still bucks or something like that and so all right uh, you, don't, yeah. you don't want to mention any change elliot so i, I gotta i gotta ask is it is it is it Publix or piggly wiggly i can't i'm not allowed i won't i won't say but everybody can walk in uh they'll walk in and see it <laughs> okay all right so let's uh let's let's just talk real quick about uh china because i know we wanted to talk about sort of how the politics in china have you know maybe affected bags a little bit so uh what sort of light can you shed on that or, or what uh, information can you give us yeah, so there, there are a couple of components to it that I think that are important. I do, I think that the political instability between countries in general, not just talking about the United States and China, but just the world in general, it, the stability, political stability is significantly less than it used to be in the past. And so there is a, there is a, a real need to purchase when you're going to purchase. So. A lot of times people delay till the very last minute in this industry, and I get it. The other thing is, is that the supply chain is not completely fixed. Uh, you, you're in the hat situation, so you know, and in, and if, in a bad situation, you can air your hat set and they cost X amount to air in. Doesn't happen in the bag business. That bag weighs a pound and a half or two pounds. You spend $20 airing a bag, it's just not gonna happen. So 
So if you if you see bags, it, if you see bags and you need the bags and they have the inventory, I would suggest purchasing it. It's not like the stability that has come back from products that are made in South and Central America. And I don't see it coming back in the near term future. The other thing that's interesting is, is that the, that COVID as COVID created these kind of, you know, consolidations in these industries that we're in and that we see in the United States, it also decimated uh, production facilities in China, dye houses and things like that, that where the government, not the government, but people, you know, just, just macro shifts based upon what's happened in the, in the marketplace. And so there are today, there are less manufacturers, there is less stability in the, uh, the chain and there is less, uh, and there's less ability to deliver product. So again, you're going to see longer lead times. And if you used to do a product project overseas, um, I still today would highly recommend that you guys like the, the viewer consider doing it domestically because really getting something in for an event with a, with a true date, you could have nine, we've had anywhere from up to four to five months in container challenges, even over the last month or two in the hmm. sense that they just book it or it gets misbooked or they, they miss a stop and then it gets set in a port and some, you know, as it's coming over, it's a real challenge still today. The prices of How do you, containers, oh, sorry. not the liability. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that too. How do you forecast when when you know that these issues, when you know that these there's these supply chains issues, um, and and we're seeing a lot of movement. We had Michelle Bell on pretty recently, and she kind of talked about this a little bit, and how we're seeing a lot of um, businesses try to move. I'm, I'm thinking of the word. I'm fill in when you guys know it, because I'm sure we. I'm just brain farting. They're moving their operations from China to Vietnam, right? Jeff, I'm like, why am I having such a brain fart about this conversation? I had it, and then it just... No, I mean, that's, that's the, I mean, what you're saying is accurate enough. I mean, you're describing okay. what you're talking about. So, <laughs> and I think it was a, a really good segue, actually, to ask me, because I know in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about forecasting from the, from the stockist perspective. Um, and, and again, I think it really comes down to the product that you're stocking because Elliot, like you'd mentioned, like for hats, it's light and they're compact and, and, you know, so you can air those in very, very quickly. I mean, I'm delivering caps in two to three weeks from the factory. Uh, and Elliot, from what you're saying is that bags, you would never even dream of doing that. So it's like all of that plays into it. So, uh, to Meg's question, like how, for somebody that can't do that, you obviously have to stock higher volumes and things like that. So how do you forecast from that perspective? Well, this is back to the, if you see the bags that you want, you should buy them components of it, is that it is very, very difficult. There are two interesting things. One, Meg, you talked about the the different offshoring of different into different countries. So uh, five years ago or six, seven years ago, I would say we were 100% China. Today, we're India, Pakistan, China, and Vietnam. That being said, that being said, you cannot move. Some industries you can move, you cannot move the bag industry the, the, the poly piece of the bag industry out of China. It doesn't, I mean, the raw materials flow, they're just not set up. It's not like, oh, well, just move it to Kuala Lumpur. It doesn't work that way. People say, well, why can't you do it? Or I'm not doing business with this person or that person. It doesn't work that way. We have, there's certain things that certain countries are good at and or, and or have dedicated resources to, and no one's catching up to them. I mean, microchips is, you gotta go to Taiwan for microchips. They're not moving anywhere. You can't build plants instantaneously. It just doesn't work that way. So again, back to that, back to that piece of 
this is the this is the supply chain for these products and this is where it comes from you also have to think about the raw materials flow the raw materials flows are coming from these countries also as as you well know in the in the hat space the other thing that you're you bring up jeff which is a good point is is that the economy everyone the economy is rolling in the sense that you know everyone thought there would be this gigantic implosion and when i talk to people people are off sometimes a little bit but i know we've not seen this implosion the challenge has been that they say everyone you talk to everyone they're like well we're optimistic we're like okay great i will sell you at a i'll sell you at a discount go ahead and stock up on inventory and they're like well we're gonna hold on so they're only optimistic to a to a certain extent until they until they have to commit for the for the piece so what you're going to see is you're going to see a pullback in inventory from suppliers i mean and in a in a not so insignificant way. My guess is 20 to 25%, again, making it challenging to get the product. So I don't see, so if you ask me with my crystal ball, what's gonna happen over the next 12 to 24 months, I do not see price. It used to be that people would purchase because there was this elevating price. So if you mm -hmm. buy it now, you're 7% off better than if you bought it later. I think today the, the, uh, the challenge of the supply chain is going to continue in these extremely heavy, extremely inexpensive products, no matter what they are, bags being the biggest, you know, one of those product categories, and that they have to buy because people are going to have smaller inventories. So Elliot, just to kind of surmise that, that train of thought here, if we think that that's the direction that things will go where they're under purchasing inventory, and given the fact that there could be delays, do you see us kind of falling into the same category as we did last year where you know we're having trouble selling stuff just because now we don't have it it's not because we don't have demand it's because we missed the forecast or pieces just haven't arrived do you think that's kind of a you know crystal ball kind of where we'll end up again potentially so, i think it's a i think it's a structure of moderation in other words i don't think it's as bad as it was but just to give you an idea i think i'm the largest supplier from a, a stocker of non-disposable uh, imprintable bags in the United States. We used to be at six and a half million units on the floor at all times. And today we're at four. I think I checked yesterday, we're mm. at 4.1 million units, which is a cataclysmic amount of inventory. Massive, massive inventory, but it is, it's down from where it was. And so I think you're gonna have some, uh, some deterioration. Mm. Guest appearance from VJ. I love it. Usually he's not trying. <laughs> we work right, from so home. <laughs> in interest of wrapping up, Stephen, I did want to ask you, because you haven't had a chance to really chime in too much on this episode. Yeah. So from the distributor's perspective, like what how would you how would you go about pitching bags? Like why should you lead the charge with bags? You know, without going too long-winded, obviously we're trying to wrap, but the I really see bags fitting in kind of two categories. And I think you just have to be aware of which one you're selling into. You know, obviously there's the commodity space, which may be the, you know, heck, we've had orders for 70,000 bags, but they're the retail shopper bags, right? You know, they're, they're the plastic bags that someone can use for a whole year. Um, we've kind of drawn away from the, the, the tote uh, demand. There was a lot of tote demand, obviously, when there's grocery store requirements and bring your own bag policies and things like that. And then we've done event things like you've mentioned with clear bags. But our, our theory has always been, especially if you're going to provide one at an event or trade show, you're probably not going to be the only bag. So if you're going to be do a bag, do the best bag. 
otherwise you're the bag inside of a bag. <laughs> so, um, you know, so that, that's that's been our push, but we understand that there's different markets and different price points for different needs. Um, you know, and then if you extrapolate that out, we do a lot of stuff in high-end bags, like backpacks. And, you know, so th there's a separate category that we almost don't even consider the the totes and the, the duffels. It's like the computer bags and this, you know, so uh, we see that differently just because those are different clients with different demands. So hopefully that helps. Very cool. Meg, Meg anything else? One yeah. One from, from yours is... I, I used to tell people, I used to say for five to 15% more, you get twice as much bag. And so back to your yeah. point of pick, pick something great. It's not, you get twice as much bag for just a little bit. More. Yeah, it's not that much. It really isn't. And, and sometimes design is the way that you can win it too. I mean, it may not even have to be a different bag. Yours just looks cooler, you know? <laughs> so um, it, it's just something to think about, obviously, when someone chooses to set aside budget for it and purchase it. Um, that you better be the best one, <laughs> you know, in a room full of bags, be the one on the outside. So I like that. Very true. <laughs> Meg, anything else to add? Um, just that, you know, a state by state, we're seeing more of these ba plastic bag bans just take over. So you, there's no plastic bags at all in any of the stores here in South Jersey, at least. So I think that we're going to see a lot more. It doesn't necessarily have to be that non-woven bag, because sometimes when I go grab some bags out of the closet, they're different whatever sometimes it's the one that i like the most or that it's the strongest or it's the biggest or mm. it's going to fold up inside of my pocketbooks i'm going to run run to the store after my meeting so i just feel like it's just the biggest market for like and yes have the nicest one or you're going to be on the inside i really like that steven so <laughs> i don't really have much to add but go bags <laughs> bags are awesome I used Very to good. run the bag division at Jetline. Like I used to run yeah. like a production. Yeah. I mean, year of the color, 2010. That was crazy. It's crazy. Me, printing Very bags. Good. I know Very it's good. a top five category for us. So I appreciate uh, hearing more about it and the, the inside. Yeah. Yeah. Elliot Goldman, any closing thoughts? No, thank you guys for having me. Hope I, uh, hope I measured up. So. Definitely. Thank a lot you. of good information here. Very good. Well, this episode was brought to you by our good friends over at Keystone. The team at Keystone consistently earns top ratings from ASI and Sage, and they understand or they understand what it takes to be a top supplier partner. They have a robust product safety testing program and complies with all the current federal and state regulations, including CPSIA, Prop 65, FDA, as well as uh, compliance with the CPSC standards in Canada. Uh, with over 150,000 square feet of manufacturing, decorating, and warehouse space, Keystone is dedicated to delivering value and quality in every order and are committed to working hard to earn your business every day. So head over to keystoneonline.com to learn more and tell them the Industry Insider sent you. Elliot, it was a pleasure having you. Thank you so much for uh, being a wealth of knowledge for us and uh, bringing a, an interesting topic uh, to, to light. Uh, and looking forward to the next time. All right. Take care, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Promo Corner's Industry Insider. For more great content from industry thought leaders, including podcasts, blogs, and videos, visit promocorner.com.